I got here yesterday afternoon, and I, I was going to deliver a sermon on Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, and realized there was no human uh, way that I could cover the depths of what are, uh, is, are, is in these verses in uh, one sermon. So I split it in two, come back next week. It's a two-parter, just like Fonzie when he jumps the, the shark tank, right? We're going to freeze it right in the middle, and, and then we'll come back. And some of you are like, who's Fonzie? You're under a certain age. Uh, but I want to talk about grace again, as we've been talking about grace, how it's meant to flow into our lives and out of our lives and impact the world around us. And I want to talk about, these aren't the only categories of grace, but the three I'll spend my time kind of open with this morning. There's three areas of grace. Everybody hold up three fingers for me. There's this area called common grace. Everybody say common grace. There's saving grace. Say saving grace. And then there's specific grace. Say specific grace. Yeah, that's a harder one. Um, so, so let's talk about those. Common grace. Common grace is what God gives all of humanity. If you're amongst the 7 billion humans plus or whatever here on the earth, you are all created by God, for God. And, and if you're sitting here this morning and you haven't realized that yet, uh, well, welcome. Welcome to the story. That's, that's the truth about who we are. Uh, but every one of us, regardless of what we do with God, has been given by God his grace. He makes the sun rise and the rains fall on the righteous and the unrighteous, those who believe in him and those who reject his existence altogether. Is everybody grateful for the common grace of God? The common grace of God shows up in how we are or in who we are. We are uh, fearfully and wonderfully made, it tells us in Jeremiah. Uh, We are all specifically uh, 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 set on this planet with talents, personalities, uh, you know, uh, skills and strength areas uh, and areas of weakness. If you want to know about areas of weakness, watch the first two episodes of American Idol. Uh, some people were told from a young age, apparently, that they could sing when they could not. And they still tried out for that show, okay? Um, some of us are less detail-oriented than others. I would be among that group, all right? Some of, less, uh, some of us are more extroverted than others. Uh, you're, you're in a crowd. You're not going to be the one who starts a conversation. You're going to be the one who waits for someone else to start uh, a conversation if you're an introvert. Um, we're just different. And, and all of our differences are God's common graces. They're the spice of our lives, and, and they're the things that he's given us to do. Uh, saving grace. Saving grace is this, this one that we talk most about here in church. Common grace is the stuff that God gives everybody regardless of whether we believe in him or not. But saving grace is what God gives to those who hear his gospel, respond to his gospel, and enter into a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ make a big fuss about that around here because it's our message. It's our mission to make sure that people know about God's saving grace. Just real quick, if you aren't aren't totally clear on that, spiritually speaking, everyone in here is a hot, hot mess. Everybody in here has absolutely nothing to give to God. We don't have two sticks to rub together, as my, uh, you know, father used to say. I think it was about making fire. I don't even know what that is. But anyway, um, uh, but we just don't have anything. We're bereft, bankrupt, spiritually and unable to do for ourselves. All the other religions are due uh, religions. We are a done religion. Uh, we, we celebrate the fact that what we could not do for ourselves, God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And so we believe that as we put our faith in Jesus, he saves us from our sin. That's saving grace. He didn't have to do it, but he chose to all the same. Anybody here grateful for that? Now, I don't, yeah, clap is good. Clap is good on that. And, and when I ask you if you're ever grateful for that, there should be just a, a, a resounding yell. It's the best thing that ever happened to anybody in here. Is everybody grateful for that? Yeah. All right, that's better. All right, now, <laughs> we'll be that church. He said grace, and everybody went crazy. Um, 
Now, specific grace, common grace, everybody gets it, saving grace, those who receive Christ get it. Those who have received Christ get this thing that I'll call, and it's, it's used in different terms, but I'll call it specific grace in this sense, that every one of us who is in Christ, who has been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, has been given by God an extra set of gifts. We've got, we got a download with our saving grace, a new app to play around with, okay? And that download is, is called our spiritual giftings, the things that the Holy Spirit empowers us to do in the context of the body of Christ, which is the church, so that the body of Christ, uh, as it's fulfilling everybody and it is fulfilling their specific purposes and exercising their specific gifts that God has given them uh, through the Holy Spirit, can be effective in accomplishing the mission that God has for the church on the earth. Is everybody with me on that? We are all parts in, in our spiritual giftedness. If you are in Christ, you are all parts of this greater engine called the church. And if you don't bring your spark plug uh, to our, uh, you know, pistons, or well, I don't know engines very well, but if you, you get what I'm saying. If you, if you leave your part out, then the engine doesn't run effectively. All of us have a responsibility to discern what God's spiritually given us to do and then to bring that to the church so that the church functions at optimum levels in accomplishing God's mission for the church. It says as much in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says it in a bunch of different places, but Paul says this to the Corinthians. He says, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone who is in Christ. To each is given the manifestation or the evidence of the Spirit in their lives for the common good of the whole of the church. It says in verse 11 of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, all these who are following Christ are empowered by one and the same Spirit spirit who apportions to each individually as he will. So that means that God has made some to teach and some to listen, some, some to administrate and some to benefit from that administration. There's all kinds of gifts, but all of the gifts work together for the effectiveness of the whole. Are you with me? Here's the, here's the great thing that God does. He takes common grace, the ways that he specifically made your personality before you met him, and then he takes his saving grace and he transforms you and makes you new and sinless and, and reunites you, uh, you with himself. And then he takes specific grace and he takes that whole ball, who we were born, who we were born to be, uh, who we became in our second birth through salvation, and then who he has empowered us to be by the investment of the Holy Spirit, and he uses it all so that the church can have its effectiveness in its mission. Like, I'm standing up here today as a result of uh, some of my natural uh, gifts. I was 10 years old when I preached my first sermon. Uh, I'm not afraid of getting up in front of people. I've always been curious. I was, I was three and a half years old, my mom tells me. I, I, I'm not bragging, just what the story is. She told me when I was three and a half years old, she was reading the paper one day, and I walked up uh, behind her, and I started reading the headlines on the other side of the newspaper at three and a half years old. She's like, how are you doing this? And I've been watching Sesame Street since ever, and uh, uh, Bert and Ernie taught me how to sound out some words. And so um, I started reading without ever being taught how to read, I guess. Uh, and, and then I just love to read. Not as much anymore. I wish I could say screens have kind of taken that and dulled it from me. Although I do always read. I read, 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 read. But it's really helpful that I like to read, and I'm curious, and and all that stuff in my job because that's what I do every week, guys. I get, to get, I get to go in a room and just read books and then come out and tell you what I read. That's what I do. Um, so those are my natural gifts, but then God saved me. And on the flip side of that, he took my natural gifts, my willingness to be in front of people, my, my curiosity, and then he, he gave me the spiritual gift of teaching and of leadership and other things that, you know, hopefully are useful me in, in, in me being a pastor. I was, I was a young guy going to Bible college 
And I, really, if you, if you know my testimony, I, my dad was a pastor. I told anybody when they asked me growing up what I wanted to do was not be a pastor. That was my only mission in life, just don't do this. And so I, I was even going to Bible college, you know, by mistake is all I can say. I, I hadn't applied anywhere else. My sister went there. It was just something I could do while I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And I ended up going all four years. And in, in between those years of, of college, I would have to come home to my church uh, you know, where my dad worked, and because they helped pay some of my tuition because I was going to Bible college, uh, I had to be, I was their indentured servant. I had to serve at the church all summer as, you know, in whatever capacity they wanted me to do as a payback for the things that they, you know, had given towards my tuition. So I went and tried out all these things, and I got involved in the youth ministry. I was like an intern for the last two years of my college career as a, as a, as a, uh, as a youth ministry guy, and I was like, wait a minute, you're going to pay me to go to Six Flags? I'm like 20 years old. I'm going to Six Flags for free, and you're paying me on top of that? Yeah, uh, yeah, I'll do that. Absolutely. Uh, and, 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 you know, it was more than that, but, but my youth pastor at the end of my senior year came to me and says, hey, man, have you thought about what you're going to do after you're, you're done college? I was like, well, I want to marry Eleanor. She is hot. But, um, <laughs> but beyond that, I really didn't have a plan. You can ask Eleanor. I didn't know what I was going to do. I, 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 I knew I had to pay for it somehow, but... Uh, uh, but he's like, hey, have you ever thought about being a, a youth pastor? And I was like, I mean, I always said I wouldn't, but uh, you think I could do that? He's like, yeah, I think you totally could do that. And then he money whipped me. He said, I'll give you $12,000 a year. And I was like, oh, well, look, put it like that. I'm in. And, uh, <laughs> and so I became the junior high youth intern at, the, at my first church. And, 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 and so all that to say that God in my life has kind of, a, you know, just naturally gifted me common grace, uh, saving grace changed my life through faith in Jesus Christ, and then specifically has, you know, uh, affirmed through the years that this is probably what I should be doing, and it's vocationally what I do. But it's, it's, you don't have to be a paid Christian to be functioning within your gifts. Everybody say hallelujah on that. Um, you, you, you can just figure out who you are and serve as who you are to the, for the betterment of the church and for the effectiveness of the mission. So we're going to spend the next couple of weeks, all that to say, talking about the grace of God in this uh, particular milieu in this area of our spiritual giftedness. Uh, and Paul's going to get to it here in his letter to the Romans in chapter 12, uh, but we won't get to it this morning because there's these first two verses of chapter 12 are just well-known, but just so hard-hitting. You can't skirt over them. You've got to deal with these, these two huge verses uh, at the beginning of Paul's dissertation. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to ask God today, uh, as we t- talk about making much of how he's, what he's given us, how do we make much of what God has given us? How do we do this? And what we're going to realize is that the first step in the process of us even realizing our gifts and employing them for his glory is that we've got to give him ourselves. Before we can receive from him what he wants us to give to others, we have to surrender ourselves to him so that we're a worthy vessel for that grace to flow into and out of. Are you with me? We've got to be ready. We've got to be willing. We've got to understand uh, you know, that, that, the, that God uses us best when we're on our backs, when we're humbled before him and ready to be used as he wills. That's why Paul starts this whole dissertation, this whole uh, teaching on, on the giftedness that should occur in the church by saying these famous words here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Everybody read them with me. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Yeah, you can read with me. That's what I, when I said everybody read with me, what I meant was, I don't know how your English is, but what I meant was, everybody read with me. You want to start again? Let's start again. It'll be fun. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Some of you memorize this, and it says spiritual act of worship. I'll talk about that. That word spiritual there is actually the Greek word logikos. What does that sound like in English? Uh, uh, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's the word logical. Anyway, uh, it's your reasonable act of worship is what many of us memorized there. Um, the first thing we've got to understand, if we're going to lay our lives down, surrender to him like we say around here, we exist to surrender to God. If we're going to be ready for him to, to, to give us these gifts and for us to use these gifts, we've got to lay down. And we've got to make ourselves these living sacrifices. He starts uh, with, with basically our motivation for all of this, which is what I want to talk about first. If, if we're going to give him ourselves, we need to remember why. If we can go back to that slide, we need to understand and remember why he has given our, or we have, he, yeah, what's it say? Understand why we give ourselves, that's what it says, why we give ourselves to him. So, so let's just make sure we got our motivation straight. Motivation's a big deal. Everybody agree with me? Like if you're doing things just out of duty instead of out of, out of appreciation, it's a different quality. If I have to do something as opposed to I get to do something, it's a different animal. It's a different way that things come out. And so it's really important so that you don't just come in here and, you know, listen to a guy get on a stage and say, this is what the Bible says to do. And you're like, well, I guess that's what the Bible says to do. And you don't have an appreciation for why the Bible is asking you to do this. You don't do it from here. Well, then it's just going to come out different. It's not going to be as effective as it could be. It's so important for us to understand and, and, and discern our motivation in giving ourselves to him. So let's look at it. It's just in this first phrase here. It says, I appeal to you. And then what's the word? Therefore. Anytime you see a therefore in scripture, do you know what you, the question you have to ask? What's the question? What's the therefore, therefore? Very pithy, very cliche, but it's an excellent uh, uh, Bible study tool. Anytime you see therefore, if you drop into a verse, you got to say, well, there, he must have been saying something previous to this that I got to know so that I can understand what's coming after this. So if he says, I appeal, I appeal to you, therefore, He's saying, because of everything I just got done saying, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Well, what, was, what has he just got done saying? Well, usually in, in the context of the previous verses, just even a few verses, you can figure out what the therefore is there for. But Romans is a little bit more involved. I think the therefore uh, refers to the entire content of the first 11 chapters of this book. Like this is kind of where Romans pivots. It's like Paul does 11 chapters of explaining righteousness and how nobody, nobody has it and then how you can have it through faith. And then he, he kind of, it's, it's very involved. I don't have enough time to preach 11 chapters of Romans. Everybody going to give me a break on that? Okay. But, but he, he, he talks about this incredible uh, grace that we've been given through Christ. And, and then he says, okay, because of that or therefore in light of that, here's what I want you to go do. He's going to get to the action stuff. Everybody with me? And, and what he's, he's basically uh, saying here is, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. He kind of gives us a, 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 a title or a, or a heading over the entire st- story of the first 11 chapters of Romans. It's all about the mercies of God. Y- you can see that here in Romans chapter 3, another set of, of familiar verses uh, where, where we read, as Paul has been writing here in the first few chapters, there's basically a dispute in Rome uh, as to who was truly the righteous ones. The Jews, as was the custom in many of the letters that Paul wrote, uh, thought that they were extra righteous because they were Jewish. I mean, throughout the Old Testament, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, the front of your Bibles, uh, it was the chosen ones of God, the sons of Abraham, the Jews, that were you know, set apart for God. And they were special because of their Jewish lineage. 
Uh, they were also special because they kept all these rules that had come through a guy named Moses. He came down from a hill and he had 10 on a tablet, remember that? And, uh, and, and then from those 10 came lots of other rules, but they, they basically said, hey, we're better than everybody else because we have the law, because we're descendants of Abraham, and so we're the truly righteous ones. Well, the Gentiles in their church were like, Ugh. and they were feeling less than righteous. And so Paul writes to, to, to address this controversy, and he tells everybody, listen, uh, Jew or Gentile, you're all a hot, hot mess. He says, he says this, uh, actually, in this same chapter, chapter 3, what then, are Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are sinful. They're under sin, as it is written. There is none righteous. No, not one. Nobody understands the righteousness of God. He's very clear. And he goes on, and, and these, well, again, we'll kind of reveal a familiar verse. If you've gone to church for any amount of time, you've heard this verse before. But he starts at verse 20, he says, he says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. It's not about the Jewish thing anymore. Uh, it's been revealed to us apart from what has been revealed to us in the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So he says to all these Jewish readers who are reading his letter in Rome, he says, hey guys, just so you know, God's been telling you all along that he was going to reveal his righteousness apart from the rules, and that he was going to reveal his righteousness according to the prophecies of the prophets. All right? So Jesus comes, and in Matthew chapter 5, he's talking about the law, and he says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. I am the completion of the law. I am the one who, who puts a capper on this thing. I, I, I'm the end of the law. It terminates with me. I'm the new law, if you want to put it that way. And then he says this. He says, you know, uh, Paul says, you know, the prophets have been talking about this for, for years. And in, indeed, if you go through the Old Testament, probably 300 times in different places in 60 different uh, sections of the scripture in the Old Testament, uh, the, the coming of Jesus is referred to. We, we talk a lot about it at Christmas time because that's when he's born, right? We celebrate that. But even his, uh, his crucifixion, his resurrection, it's all over uh, the, 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 the writings of the Old Testament. And so Paul says, you guys, you, you, totally, you totally missed the point of the scriptures and the law it was pointing to this one who was coming. They both bear witness to it or to him. Because, and then he goes on and says this, the righteousness of God, is, it, it comes through, the, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. Jew or Greek, everybody's a hot mess. You're not any better because you kept the rules. In fact, let's talk about this. Who, went to, who grew up going to church? Anybody grew up going to church? Put your hand up in the air if you grew up going to church. Everybody look around. Here they are. Who grew up not going to church? Anybody grew up not going to church? Everybody look around. It's great to see you. So glad you're here. Okay, who, one more time. Who, who has sinned so grievously in your life that you would never want to tell anybody else about it? Anybody ever done that? Uh, look at all the hands. Some of you haven't done that. Sir, I'm grateful for that, that you have never sinned or, or whatever. But uh, um, my, my point is this. doesn't matter if you grew up going to church and knowing all the rules and knowing that. You, you still blew it. doesn't matter if you didn't grow up in church and didn't know all the rules. You still blew it. Everybody blows it. Everybody messes up. There's no distinction. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the one we know, right? You know what the next verse says? Verse 24, and all are justified by his grace as a what? It's a gift. And it's through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What's my point? My point is this. If you're looking for some motivation Look no further than the cross. Look no further than to the miraculous, unexplainable, inexplicable. I think that's the right word. There, there's no reason, logical reason, that a righteous and holy God 
would send his only son to be a sacrifice for a rebellious and wretched creation. But he loved us so much that he did. I don't know about you, but when I make something that isn't working out, I start over. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, you know, if it's just not looking like what I want it to look like, I just, I, I do it again. But here's what Jesus did. He revitalized, uh, reimagined, uh, reconciled and rekindled humanity through his love for us in Christ. Um, there's a story uh, in the scriptures in John chapter 12. Uh, Jesus is sitting at a table with a guy named Lazarus. Just a few days earlier, Lazarus had been dead and in his tomb, and Jesus shows up, and he says, uh, rise, Lazarus, get, come on, come on out, come out of your tomb. And Lazarus comes back from the dead. Did you hear that? Yeah, he came back from the dead. He's sitting at the dinner table with Jesus, post-death. And they're just hanging out, and, and the, Bible, the Bible goes on to say that this lady Mary comes up to Jesus, and she starts wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. Not, not only that, but she pours out like uh, Dracar Noir, I don't know what it was, but it was like, this valuable perfume uh, on the feet of Jesus. And she's just using the, the locks of her hair to wipe off the feet of our Savior. Uh, this was a custom, you know, in, in almost all Jewish homes. If you came in after wearing your Birkenstocks all day, uh, you know, you'd have to have your feet washed. And so the, the servants of that home would come in and wash your feet and get you ready. Because when you sat down to eat, you know, they didn't sit in chairs like we do. They would kind of, you know, lean on a pillow and their feet would be in the face of the guy next to them. And just, you know, no one wants that, right? So, um, so, so that's all she was doing. She was picking up off of that motif of a servant who had washed the master's feet. Uh, but she does it in an extravagant way. She takes this perfume. In fact, Judas, in the, in the verses that follow Judas, um, he, he says, oh, what a waste. He totally could have used all that, you know, Drakkar. Uh, we could have sold it for 300 denarii and put it in the till. Now, uh, John reveals that Judas was only concerned for that because he had been skimming off the till, and he was uh, seeing that he was missing out on an opportunity to score. Uh, but 300 denarii, just so you know, uh, that's a, a man's wage for a year. I don't know what you make for a year, but can you imagine wiping it on somebody's feet? And it's just gone forever? Uh, especially in that context, it was probably all that Mary had. It was her IRA. It was like everything she owned. And she just poured it out on the feet of Jesus. And so Judas is complaining, oh, what a waste. This is horrible. Try to get you know, save some and we can sell it. And Jesus says this to Judy. because That's why I don't think Judas liked Jesus because he called him Judy. I don't have that, you know, on any authority. <laughs> that's not true. Don't, that's, that's just me having fun when I'm studying the Bible. But anyway, uh, but he says to Judas, hey, buddy, no, 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 don't, don't you wipe up a drop. You let her go, man. And here's why. She gets it. I've been telling the rest of you guys that I came to die, that this temple would be torn down and be resurrected in three days, and you guys haven't got any of it, but this chick gets it. Mary gets it. And she understands that I'm here to give my life as a ransom for many. And she's already ahead of the game because she's here giving all that she has, all that she is, in response to what I'm going to give for her. Yeah, if you haven't picked that up coming to church, that's central to what we believe. That this saving grace, it's, it's not cheap and easy and free. Jesus gave his life as part of us receiving from him what his life given has afforded us. He expects us to give our lives. It's 
why Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, in view of God's mercies, in view of the fact that Jesus has died, that you would die also. What did Jesus tell his disciples? Pick up your cross, brothers. Let's go die. Give your all to me. That's the first thing. We've got to understand our motivation. Why? The second thing we've got to understand is how. Understand how we give ourselves to him. There's a, a method, a means by which we're supposed to surrender ourselves so that he can give us much and we can make much of what he's given us. Uh, he says, I, again, in verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to what? To present. This is sacrificial talk, to bring a sacrifice, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. It's your logical or reasonable act of worship. Uh, th this is the method by which we come. So three things in that. First of all, when we give ourselves, we give the whole of ourselves. What does it say we give to present our what? Our bodies. Now, strip down everything else in your life. Um, what do you really have in life? You got this. Whatever's inside your skin is what you really have. You can take the rest of it off. Don't picture it, but you can take everything else off, right? Everything else can be taken from you. But this is what you have. When, when, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, soul, and strength. Guess where all those things reside? In here. Your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. They're all contained within your skin and bones. And so when he says to, to give your bodies, what he's basically saying, I want it all. I want everything that you are. In total. He says to give it as a living sacrifice. All the other sacrifices in the Old Testament, they died. Jesus is going to let us live. He's like, I don't want you to end your physical life. I want you to persist in your physical life. But in everything else in your life, as you live, I want all of it. We're busy doing this, though. Who's seen me do this before as I preach? Here you go, God. Here's 40% of me. Here's these areas, but you can't have my anger. When I get mad, people get nervous around me, and they do what I want. It's very helpful. So I know I'm not supposed to be angry. Your Bible says not to be angry or to carry a grudge. But it is so useful in the world I live in, I'm going to keep it. And so you can have everything else, but you can't have my anger. You can have everything else, but you can't have my lust. You know, I like, uh, you know, the, the Internet and what it offers me. I don't even have to go through the embarrassment of a bookstore anymore. So you can have everything else, but you can't have that. You can have everything else, God, but you can't have my gossip. You can't have my... I mean, whatever it is, spin the wheel. What's yours? But God says, no. When I ask you to make a, a sacrifice yourselves, I want it in total. I want your living sacrifice. I want all of your life rendered to me. So we give all of ourselves. We give all as God desires. He says that we should be a, a holy and acceptable to who? To God. Holy means set apart. It means to be removed from what could sully us or, 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 uh, or, or soil us in our perfection in Christ. But he says, finally, to be acceptable to God. You know what I spend a lot of time doing? I spend a lot, a lot of time defining to God or for God what's acceptable. <laughs> okay, here's my living sacrifice, God. Here's the deal. Here's what I'm going to give you. It's like, we're, it's like we're you know, negotiating a used car sale. Here, here's, here's my offer, God. I'll give you Sunday morning for an hour. How about that? Some people aren't even making it on that now. 
because we've got this internet now and you can watch from home. Hi, guys. How's it going? Hope you're enjoying your cereal. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but I'll give you an hour. I'll give you an hour. Oh, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to ramp it up. I'm going to give you an hour, and then I'm going to bring my kids up here on Wednesday, and I'll go to women's Bible study or men's Bible study. I'll give you two hours. Oh, I'm going to go crazy. This is going to be nuts. I'm going to give you Sunday. I'm going to give you Wednesday, and I'm going to serve three hours. Are you with me? Am I, am I impugning your involvement in the church and all those things? Not at all. Please continue. Those are great things to do. But if you think that that is the whole of what God desires, it's not. And you can't define for God what is acceptable to him. He's just fine taking care of that. He wants us according to his desires, not ours. Uh, I, I think about this and I think about uh, getting dressed up for church when I was a kid. I went to a, a church where uh, everybody got dressed up. Anybody grow up going to that church? Sunday best? Who had Sunday best? Anybody had Sunday best? We didn't have a whole lot of money, but I had a nice suit of clothes. I was eight years old. I was wearing a three-piecer. You know, clip-on tie and the whole thing, right? And I'd march into church. And, and my friends would, uh, you know, all go out and play on the monkey bars out in the playground after church was over. And I'd start running out after them, right? Taking my coat off as I went. And I would be throwing my coat down. And what would my mom do? Pick that coat up! You better not get your Sunday best dirty. You, you put a hole in those pants, you will have to deal with me, right? Putting the fear of God in me as I try to go have fun, you know? I mean, try to go all out, all out on the monkey bars in a suit and a vest. Just can't be done, right? So my, mom, my, mom, you know, my mom's a great lady, but she had uh, furniture in our house that we weren't allowed to sit on. Anybody got those, that furniture? It was white. We had white living room furniture. Just don't even go in there. It's the holy of holies in our house. They should have just had a curtain, right? Just The only ones that are allowed to go in here are me and your father. We're the high priests, and that's it, right? We just weren't allowed in there. Why? Because, and I get it. I was a dirty kid. I was constantly messed up, just dirty, and I would come in there and mess everything up, right? But here's how I want you to picture yourself. When Jesus died for you and you chose Jesus, he, he gave you your Sunday best. He clothed you in his righteousness, Okay? When Jesus died for you and, and you gave your life to Jesus, he, he, he made you white as snow. He turned you into that uh, unforbidden couch or that forbidden couch. And, 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 but here's what we do all the time. We, we go and mess up our Sunday best. We, go get, we go get the couch dirty all the time. We, we go and do whatever we want because we've negotiated with God with what's acceptable to him. And so we get to do all this other stuff according to me. Oh, this ought not to be. Look what it says in Romans chapter 6. It says this. It says, verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. There's a new king in town. It's not your sin. It's not your appetites. It's not what you uh, de determine is acceptable. No, we're, we're deposing the old king, our flesh and our appetites. It says, don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, which is what has happened. Everyone in here is a Lazarus, spiritually speaking. And your members uh, should be presented to God as instruments for righteousness. Look at this, my favorite one in the whole run. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but you're under grace. We're not in a due religion. We're in a done faith. And what's been done for us is that we've been rescued from our sin by the grace of Christ. 
And, and we're no longer slaves to it. It says that all over the place in Romans and other spots. We're, we're not beholden to our old self. It's not the boss of us anymore. In fact, that's what I want you to do from now on. If you don't get anything else, any, you know, in the rest of what we're talking about, just remember to say, anytime you're tempted, hey, you're not the boss of me anymore. This sin that you're, you know, that I'm being tempted to go do, whatever it is, it's, you're not the boss of me anymore. I've been saved from you. And I don't have to act like I've acted before. My son Cooper spent most of his growing up years uh, letting his younger sister Kai tell him what to do. He's just, you know, he's just a, a good kid that way. And so uh, she figured out early that I can get Cooper to do a lot of the stuff I've been asked to do, so I'll just have him do it. And, and it kind of showed up just recently. He's, he's gotten better at it, but uh, I asked Kai. We were all sitting in the living room. Kai, go let the dog out. And reflexively, she didn't even think about it. Cooper was walking by. She says, Coop, let the dog out. Which I guess is okay. I mean, it's, you know, it's letting the dog. It's opening a door, right? But Cooper, without even thinking, was like, mm-hmm. I guess I'm letting the dog. And he goes, and I'm like, Coop, she's not the boss of you. And Coop, like, snapped out of his stupor like a zombie coming back to life, right? He's like, oh, yeah. Hey, Dad told you to get the dog. And I was like, Kai, yeah, I told you to get the dog. And then Kai went off and opened the door for the dog. Same thing with us and our sin. I think sometimes we just kind of walk around like nothing's really happened because of Jesus in our lives. Everything has happened because of Jesus in you. And sin is no longer your Lord. He is. If we're going to give ourselves to him, we need to give our whole selves, our living selves. We need to give our holy selves according to what his standards are. And then finally, we need to give because it's reasonable. That's what that, if you can show me 12, 1 again real quick. It says, uh, uh, no, Romans 12, 1, if you can do that real quick. It says, this is your spiritual worship. It's that logikos word. It's just reasonable. This is just what we do. And that's what I talked about you in the beginning. The time that I have left, let me just kind of uh, hit what comes next here. Uh, live the do and not the don't is the final thing we see in these verses that we have time to talk about. We'll finish more next week. But live the do and, 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 and the don't uh, of giving ourselves to him. Here's the, here's the don't. Let's start with that. It says in verse 2, don't. Do not be conformed to this world. Everybody see that? And then it gives us the do. Do. Do be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All right, just real quick, let me talk about that. When we talk about the don't, um, don't stay where you're no longer natural to stay. You've been supernaturally removed from your flesh and the world and the things that used to be who you are, the old man. Live now in this new life with Christ. Don't be conformed to the, uh, to the old patterns of this world. Romans, again, Paul in his writings to the Romans talks about these patterns of the world in Romans chapter 1. He says this. Uh, he says, for although they knew God. This, he's talking about uh, old us. He's talking about the problem of sin in the lives of people who haven't been redeemed. Although they, they know God, they do not or did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and in their foolish, heart, foolish hearts they were darkened. Uh, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Anybody know this person? You got a mirror? Okay, uh, and exchange, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and, and creeping things, talking about idols there. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity because they weren't looking at him. They refused to acknowledge him. They gave him up. He, he gave them over to their hearts of impurity and, and the dishonoring of the bodies amongst themselves. In verse 25, it says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a what? A lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who blessed forever, amen. Just, just real, real quick, three things. 
if, if we're not going to be conformed to this world, we're going to have to be able to identify the world and its tricks. The first trick is that the world or our, our flesh, our old man, tries to get us to think that God's not there. That, that God, you know, in this, situa- this situation is special. What God says about this situation doesn't apply because I really want to do it, and so I'm just going to ignore God and pretend he's not here. You ever, uh, you know, we have this five-year-old uh, that comes over to our house. We love him. He's like our grandson. And uh, it'll be time to leave. He doesn't want to leave. And so what, guess what he does? He pretends not to see his shoes. Has anybody ever seen, like, a little kid pretend not to see his shoes? He's looking right at him. They're right there, buddy. I don't see, I don't know what you're talking about. What, are you, what shoes? And, and he's intentionally ignoring. It's like husbands. Come on, husbands. Testify. Anybody? Has anybody listened to your wife for, like, a half an hour and not heard, heard a word? Anybody? Come on. You're staring her right in the face. She's been talking for a long time. You're breathing, okay? You've even figured out how to nod every once in a while to make it look like you're paying attention. But you haven't heard a word she said. You know where else that happens? Church. Some of you have been listening to me for 35 minutes. You haven't been here for a second. Now, some of you, you know, you're just honest about it. You put your head on the back of the chair and you take your nap. Good to have you. I'm glad the chairs are comfortable. When I grew up, they were wooden, Okay? But some of you come in here and you just posture yourself, square your shoulders to me and look at me like I used to do when I went to church and you just look at me for 35 minutes and don't hear a word I say. You know why? Because you just can't be bothered with it. You got other things you want to fill your mind with. And that's the first way that we conform to the world. We just ignore God. We just pretend he's not here. Second way, we, we exchange truth for a lie. Truth for a lie. You know what the big lie is? I'm God. God's not. The big lie is, is that I know better than God. Uh, the sooner we figure out that we're finite and not God, that he's infinite and is God, the better our lives are going to go. You ever, you ever been sure of some situation that didn't work out? Like I, I, I rented a backhoe with a grater on it. Anybody remember that story? I tried to grate my backyard so I had saved some money for, you know, but I kept running into my house with a scoop on the backhoe. I thought the whole time I was doing it was the best thing I ever thought of doing. What a great idea. I'm saving all this money where, in fact, I was just cha-ching. Every time I hit the thing, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. And I was proved. I thought I was wise, but I was proved a fool. Are you with me? And we do that all the time with God. We think, hey, I got this. I know better than you. It says in Proverbs twice, same verse, Proverbs 14 and Proverbs 16. Look them up. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man. But this is a way that leads to destruction. He says it twice to his kids. Everybody know what Proverbs is. It's, it's Solomon talking to his sons. He, he said that one twice. Hey, dude, don't think that you know what you don't know. We exchange truth for a lie. And then we worship the creator or the creature over the creator. Oh, man, that's just a mess, isn't it? We, we terminate. This, and this is what he means. We terminate our worship at the things that God has made instead of God himself. And here's what we start doing. We start saying, God, I just want what you have uh, to give me. I just want what, your stuff. I don't really want you. And that is something that creeps up in my life. And this is where we'll stop this week. I don't know uh, how you are, but have you ever had like a really good day? Like, like for me, a good day would probably start with a round of golf. You may not like it, but I enjoy it. I'm not very good at it, but it still it relaxes me, right? And then maybe after a round of golf, I get to sit, sit down with some reasonably decent fellows you know, and have a meal, and we get to talk, and I get to eat something I really like to eat. Is everybody, like, you're going to go ahead and eat lunch in a little bit. Are you amazed by the fact that God made taste? He didn't have to make taste. It's a grace that he gave us food that's like, oh, 
That is delicious. I can't wait to eat it. He didn't have to do that. It could just all taste, you know, like gruel. But he gave us taste, and so you taste some food. And you sit down, you have this long conversation, and you walk home with this contentment. And you weren't at work. Any day, you know, not at work is a great day. But, but you just you got to do things you really like to do. And then you put your head on the pillow at night, and you're reflecting on your day, and you just, you just think, man, what a great day. And it stops there. Does everybody see that that's a miscarriage of, of, of that reminiscing? For, for the Christ follower, every great thing that we reflect on should be Thank you, Jesus, for the grace that you gave me in playing golf and having a good meal and having friends that would talk to me and having a good day. Thank you for the goodness that you granted me. But so often, here's what we do. I made that possible. I earned the money that earned me a day off that got me on the golf course that bought my steak. I'm cool, so that's why those people hang out with me. And we think it's all about us. That's conforming to the world. God says, don't do that. Be transformed. Let me change you. Let me, and, and that's, that's huge. You've got to understand. It's not something you go and do. Everybody asks me all the time, how do I go transform? You don't. You surrender. You humble yourself. You must be transformed in the renewing of your mind by the Holy Spirit. So here's, here's my point. If we're going to be making much of what God has given us, we've got to get down, humble ourselves, submit ourselves to God as living sacrifices, live according to his standards. Don't conform to the world. Don't, don't, don't be who we used to be. Be who we are now. Open ourselves to his transformation. If we do that, then his gifts will become evident to us. Our, our, our using them will become uh, a joy to us. And we'll serve him and become a mighty church for his kingdom. Amen? May God grant us that grace as we move forward. Let's pray. Hey, Lord, thanks for uh, Romans and for the messages that uh, it has and the rest of your scripture has about your grace to us. You've, you've given us all common grace. Uh, for those of us who have received you, you've given us saving grace. For those of us who have experienced saving grace, you've given us these gifts. But, and we want to use them, God. We want to see them unleashed in our church and unleashed in our community so that uh, you're made famous, uh, needs are met, people come to know you. Uh, that, that's our hope. But Lord, the only thing that stands on the way is us and our desire to, to, to worship ourselves and our desire uh, to, to conform to the world. Those are the things that stand between us and our usefulness for you and your gifts. So would you, Lord, rescue us again from ourselves. Uh, teach us that our, our sins and our habits and our appetites they aren't the boss of us anymore. Free us, God, to a life of surrender to you so that you get all that you hope for us and from us and in us. And we glorify you with every day, every breath, every moment of our lives. That's our heart, God. Lead us to that. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Fonzie is over the shark tank right now. Come back next week and we'll finish. God bless you as you go.